Good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Hopefully I've greeted most of you. Some of you came in uh, after the service started, so hopefully I'll see you after the service. We started a series two weeks ago called Christian, It's Not What You Think. And if you've missed one of those or both of those, they're on our website, uh, the audio versions anyway. Today's topic is insiders and outsiders. That'll make a little more sense as, as we go along. Um, for those of you that missed the first couple parts, or for all of us, it might be good to review. We're going to go back and talk about what we talked about the last couple weeks. First, we talked about this term Christian. What does it mean? Well, if I, we asked for definitions from all of you and you wrote them down, we would probably have a couple dozen different answers just in this group here. And if we surveyed a bigger group, we might have a hundred different answers. One of the big problems with that word is, is that we don't quite, quite sure what it is, what it means. And one of the reasons is because it's not defined in the Bible. It only appears three times in the Bible. All three times it is by outsiders, people outside the church, describing people inside the church. So outsiders describing insiders, it was meant as a derogatory term. You little Christ and uh, uh, just kind of like redneck was meant as a derogatory term. Eventually people have kind of embraced redneck. Well, people embrace the term Christian. But again, the problem is it doesn't have a definition. So you can call yourself a Christian and do about anything. You can call yourself a Christian and believe almost anything. We have Christians on both sides of every issue, political issues, uh, moral issues, uh, lifestyle issues, you name it. There's people on both sides that are, call themselves Christians and believe that they're right. Well, both sides of everything can't be right. <laughs> or, uh, something has to be true and something else not true. We also found out that the insiders, those who were followers of Jesus, didn't use this term to describe themselves. Jesus didn't use this term. So what term did Jesus use to describe those that were his followers? Who remembers? Disciple. Somebody remembers. Thankful. Somebody remembered. (laughs) The whole group. All right. It's the term disciple. Now, this is a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different word because we know what disciple is. We have a definition. In fact, we've given you one the last two weeks. It's someone who's a learner, a pupil, apprentice, a follower, adherent. All right? So this is somebody that's trying to learn from somebody else. They're imitating. They're, they're, they're following an example of another person. So this gets a little more scary because we have a person, Jesus, to follow. We have a person, Jesus, who tells us what to do. In fact, as a disciple, if Jesus says it, our answer is always yes. As a Christian, uh, that's kind of interesting. I'll try to decide for myself. I want to do that. I want to believe that. But as a disciple, there's no options. It's just always yes. Uh, one way to describe it this way. As a Christian, it's usually based on the fact that I believe something. I'm a Christian because I believe in God. Well, lots of people believe in God and aren't Christian. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, that doesn't make you a Christian necessarily. So it's more based on, a disciple's based on more what you do. And that's what Jesus said, and we're going to look at a verse in a minute. Uh, you can tell if you're one of my disciples by what you do. Now, believing's important, but it's, you know, we can believe all kinds of things. It's important what you do. So we, can, we and other people often hide behind this word, this phrase, Christian. And it can mean anything we want, so we can do about anything we want. And I can't say anything to you because you say, hey, 
I believe this, I'm a Christian, leave me alone, I'll do what I want. The problem is people out there have a, a preconceived notion of what people in here should be like. And when they hear the word Christian, they think somebody's like Jesus, and they'll point to us and say, you're not like Jesus. And we deserve that criticism. Um, so that's why we're stu- studying this topic, and that's why it's so important that we get this straight, that we understand. If we're going to use the term disciple, what we really mean by that is uh, Christian. We really mean disciple. Now, we said something last week that's really important, and that's this. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, and we're going to look at, look at that in a second, watch what Jesus did. And so that's what's important. It's what we do, just like what Jesus did, and that's the proof. Now, I don't know if some of you are computer geek types people and if you are Apple people, but... Uh, a guy by the name of Steve Jobs died about a year ago, a little over a year ago. He was kind of big into all that Apple stuff. Now, he, wasn't a, he started out in a, in a church when he was a child, but then he, he left Christianity and never came back. He, he remained a, an atheist. But he made this comment that was really uh, uh, powerful, I thought. The juice, and I like that word. The juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith or what you believe, rather than living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw. Now, so this is an atheist, one of the outsiders, making comments about us on the insiders. If you're here this morning and you're not an insider, if you're not a Jesus follower, welcome. You're probably going to enjoy what I have to say today. But uh, we're glad that you're here. So it's what you see, what we do. Now, I don't think we should be too surprised by this. I think if you've been a Jesus follower for a while, you, you know people judge us, evaluate us, and uh, the basis on, uh, you know, whatever criteria that they think we, we should live by. So again, as Jesus followers, it's important to know what Jesus said. And we looked at, the last two weeks, what Jesus said the last time he got his 12 disciples together before he was taken away and tried and executed. He said, okay, I've been teaching you for over three years, lots of different things, and if you read the New Testament, they didn't understand most of it, but anyway, I've been teaching lots of different things. I'm leaving, make sure you get this. There's lots of laws, lots of rules. This is the one rule I want to leave with you, because it's really important, and here's what he said. Your love for one another will prove to the world or to the outsiders that you are my insiders or my disciples. Now, he could have said anything. He says if you go to church on Sunday, you put money in the offering, if you pray, if you read your Bible, if you fast. Uh, He could have said anything. And here's what he decided to say. This is the proof is how you treat people. Not what you believe, and that's important. It's not about what you believe, it's how you treat people. And again, he's talking to 12, 11 disciples. He's saying, the proof's going to be how you 11 guys treat each other. He's really not talking about how we re- interact with outsiders. We'll get to that in a minute. He's saying, the proof is how you treat each other. That means if you're an insider, if you're part of this church, you're part of... <laughs> Consider yourself a disciple and Jesus follower. It's how you treat other people that claim to be Jesus followers. That's what's most important. In fact, that's how we prove that we love God. Is that an easy thing to do? 
No, it's not easy to love anybody. Uh, and then Jesus' followers are no different. So thus it's not an easy task. It's a difficult task. <clears throat> but this isn't our instruction for outsiders. <clears throat> How do we treat outsiders? So this morning we're going to look at what the Bible, and this specifically uh, Paul instructs us how to treat outsiders, how that's different than how we treat insiders. And unfortunately, the church over most of its history have gotten it wrong, gotten it backwards. We've not done a good job. Now, if you consider yourself a Christian, you're going to be a little uncomfortable with some of the things I say this morning. In fact, you may not like what I have to say. All I ask you to do is just listen and then check it out. Go read your Bible. See if it's true or not. Okay? Is that fair enough? Hopefully that's fair enough. But before we get to what Paul had to say, we want to get back to Jesus because Jesus died, but we believe that in three days later he came back to life and he, he walked around here on earth, hung around for 40, year, 40 days. And lots of people saw him, hundreds of people saw him. There's proof that he was resurrected. So he gets to leave again. <laughs> so what was the last thing he le- said before he leaves this time? He leaves for good. We call it the Great Commission. It's in, it's in the Matthew. It's also in, recorded at the beginning of, of the book of Acts. So again, this has got to be pretty important. It's the last thing I'm going to say before I'm, gonna, I'm never going to see you again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. And so here's what he said. Now before this, he says, I have all authority. Meaning Jesus said, I'm the boss. Right? If you're a Jesus follower, you follow me, I tell you what to do. This is his marching orders, if you will. So he said, therefore, I'm the boss, you're the followers, I'm the general, you're the soldiers, therefore, go. <laughs> don't sit, don't sit in your little uh, church huddles. He says, go and make disciples, there's that word, not Christians, go and make disciples of all the nations. This has kind of been a Jewish thing up until now, but now it's going to be a worldwide thing. It's going to be an everybody thing. Now, it's interesting, this word, word make. He didn't say go find disciples. You know, as a pastor, if someone, you know, we have some newer people here, and if I find that you're, you know, you're disciples, I'm excited about that. Can we just kind of plug you in and, and go with it? Uh, but that's not what he said, is it? He said, go find people that aren't disciples and make them disciples. Uh, this phrase actually means to cause them to become disciples. That's a lot harder task, isn't it? And that's not something that the church has done great over the years. Then he uses this word, baptizing them. Now, some people, you know, if I'm part of the church, think baptism is a sacrament. It's critical to get into heaven. We don't believe that. And then other people don't think they need to be baptized. It's not important. But Jesus evidently thought it was important, right? One, he got baptized, and he gave this in his final instructions to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's that Trinity thing. Uh, us preacher types didn't make that up. Jesus <laughs> mentions it here. Baptize, and that means uh, join Jesus in something he did. Join Jesus in something uh, symbolically that he did. He was buried and resurrected. We get buried or die to our old life. We get resurrected to new life. Uh, connects us to a church body, a group of other believers, which is really important. Uh, people don't go baptize themselves. They're baptized by a, 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 another group of believers. So he says, go baptize them. And they, now, he says, then teach these new disciples. Okay? So you're, you're an outsider. You decide to become an insider. You decide to become a follower of Jesus. 
then those of us that are on the inside, we're supposed to teach you. Now, here's the interesting thing. Are we supposed to teach you about the Trinity? Are we supposed to, what are we supposed to teach you? The most important thing for disciples to teach new disciples is what? What's the word? Disciples to what? Obey. Wow, that's not a word we like, is it? We like to do our own thing. So I can, I'll teach you theology, I'll teach you Bible stuff, and then let you do your own thing. But no, 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 no. The most important thing for me to teach you is to obey the things that Jesus said. Not to learn what Jesus said, but to obey. It's kind of like a parent. What's your most important job? It's to teach your children to obey authority. You don't want to wind up in jail. You don't want them to get executed. But one of the important jobs of being a parent is to teach your child to obey the rules, whether to obey the rules at school or to obey your rules at home. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Or if you're a Jesus follower, to obey, the, obey uh, what Jesus said. Uh, so the commands he's given you. <clears throat> Did they do it? Yeah, in fact, they did it remarkably well for 300 years, the, the church. Even under great persecution that we talked about last week for the first 100 years. 300 years later, the reason we know it, they did it so well is after 300 years, the Roman Empire, which persecuted them, was killing them, crucifying them, decided, wow, this is so powerful, this disciple, this Jesus thing, that we're going to make... Everybody in the Roman Empire are Christian. <laughs> That's pretty remarkable, right? So their love for one another had won the whole Roman Empire over. Now that sounds like a good thing, but it was a bad thing. Because now the church had power. It had authority. It could make people do things. In the past, the leverage was only loving one another. And so now the church became a little bit like this, and I'm going to paraphrase uh, what's called the Great Commission. Now the church's marching orders sounded a little bit more like this. Now this isn't from Jesus, but this is what the church basically came up, wound up doing. Therefore, go and impose my teachings and values and worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't obey everything I've commanded you. And so consequently, like 700 years later, there could be holy wars. There could be a crusades where, you know, if you're not going to believe what I believe, I'm going to kill you. Uh, from our perspective, that seems crazy. But this is how something like that can happen because now the church had power and it didn't have to love. And unfortunately, that's when things start going downhill. Consequently, the Western Europe became Christianized and then, of course, when North Amer South America were, were colonized, they became you know, Christian also in that term. So we're going to look at Paul this morning. Paul was a guy that persecuted the church at the beginning and then he got this dramatic conversion and he started being a Jesus follower, a disciple. And he went and took this seriously. He went to all, all the nations, but lots of nations. And he started churches and then later wrote, went and wrote letters back to their churches and that's part of what we call the New Testament. First we want to look at Paul's approach and then we're going to look at something Paul wrote. Uh, both are recorded in something called 1 Corinthians, or a letter he wrote to a church in Corinth. So let's look at verse 9, uh, chapter 9, verse nine, 19. He says, though I'm free and belong to no one. All right? Jesus has set me free. I'm free. I, I'm not obligated to anyone. 
And if you're a Jesus follower, you're free. You're free from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and, the, and one day the presence of sin. So I'm free and belong to no one. I have made, or I'm going to put, put a but in there, but I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why would you do that? Why? You're free, but you're going to make yourself a slave or a servant to everyone? I have no obligation to anybody, but I'm going to oblige myself to everyone. Why, Paul? Why would you do that? He tells us, to win as many as possible. Paul, what are you trying to do? Being a servant to everybody. I'm trying to win as many as possible. Now, we understand the term win, whether it's in a sporting uh, uh, event, uh, in a contract situation, if you ever try, tried to win a contract, what, do you, what are you trying to do? You're trying to convince whatever company or party to, that your product or your services is better than somebody else's. And if, if you can convince them <laughs> that your product is better, you win the contract. A lot of us are married. At one point, we won the heart of another person. In my case, 39 years ago, my uh, Debbie Jenkins became Debbie Youngbar. I won her heart. She won my heart. I convinced her. She convinced me. I'm a better choice than all the other guys. And she's a better choice than all the other gals, right? The same thing in those of you who are married in your cases. So we won. So how do we do that? Making a case that, 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 that we are, our situation, our product is better than the alternatives. And Paul says, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to win as many people as possible. I'm trying to convince them that becoming a Jesus follower is better than not being a Jesus follower. And then he talks about he becomes a Jew to the Jews. He becomes a Gentile or non-Jew to those who aren't Jews. And then one of my favorite verses in Scripture is this one. Chapter 9, verse 22. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. So he's empathetic, compassionate. For I want to bring the weak to Christ, like everybody else. Yes, now here it is. I try to find common ground with everyone. Does the church normally do that? Do you and I normally do that? No, I've got my ground, and I'm going to convince you to, <laughs> your ground is being like my ground. Doing everything I can to save or win some. I'm trying to convince you that being a Jesus follower is, is what's best. Now, is Paul being hypocritical here? I'm like a Jew when I'm a Jews, I'm a Gentiles, I'm a Gentile. No. See, his, his theology, his belief system never changed. All right? This is method changed. All right? So a big lesson for you and I, especially when we're, as insiders, we're with outsiders. What do I need to do? I need to find common ground with that person. And if you and I try, you can find common ground with just about anyone. Now, if they're an outsider and you're an insider, there's going to be uncommon ground. But the first thing, the most important thing, is to find common ground. <clears throat> and what's happened in the church is we went for the first 300 years, our message is we love you till God's going to get you. <laughs> and some of you have been in churches where that was the message, right? If you don't repent, you're going to burn an eternity in hell, which is true, but that's not supposed to be the message. 
Now, we that are Jesus followers believe that this guy named Jesus was the Son of God. He suffered and lived a perfect life, suffered and died in our place so we might have forgiveness of sin, be connected with God, uh, purpose and meaning in life, have a joy and contentment, a peace that, that non-Jesus followers can't or don't have. We really believe that. And we want those out there to have what we have. This is fantastic. The problem is we've done a lousy job of it. And one of the reasons is because we haven't sought to find common ground. So we're going to look at something Paul wrote, one of the letters he wrote to the church at Corinth where we just read this. And sometimes we think that early church, you know, it was great to live back then. They had it all going on. They, they were doing such a great job. No, 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 no. <laughs> if you read the New Testament... Uh, we're calling it disorder in the church. Uh, they were almost as, as disordered back then as the church is today. And God still used them. But that didn't, didn't use it for an excuse. So again, some of you are not going to like what I'm going to say. Again, just uh, take, listen and then, you know, figure it out later. So here we go. Chapter 1, uh, chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is writing to this group, this church he started. He says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even the pagans don't do. Now, Corinth was kind of like Las Vegas. All right? I don't want to pick on Las Vegas, but, you know, this is the image we have of Las Vegas. I mean, the Roman Empire was sexualized anyway, but this was like the capital. All right? So it's just a very uh, immoral place. And he says, there's something going on with you folks in the church in Corinth that the people outsiders wouldn't even do. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, Everybody has standards. People out there, people in here, everybody has standards. And there's some things, everybody has a line that they just don't cross. And Paul is saying, hey, there's somebody in the church that's crossed a line that people outside the church wouldn't even cross. Now, here's what he says it is. And told that a man in your church is living in sin or having an affair with his stepmother. All right. Now, we don't believe it was his, his father's wife at this point, or he would have said, your, uh, uh, said it that way. You think this might have been uh, an ex-wife, or maybe his, his uh, ex-wife and his dad has died. We don't, we don't know the, the details. But this was something the pagans wouldn't even do. And this guy in the church was doing this. Now, you have to understand, the church back then, uh, their, their church was probably smaller than this church. Now, I don't know what all of you are doing, but if we were a church, like back in the beginning, some of you were back there when we had like 40 people, we knew each other pretty well, right? <laughs> if you were doing something like this, we would probably know. It's kind of like a big, small group. And so this was not hidden. This was out in the open. People knew about this. Now, Paul goes on. He says this. You are so proud of yourselves. But you should be mourning and sorrow and saying, this is horrible. Why are you proud of yourselves? And all I can imagine is they felt, hey, we're being loving, we're being tolerant, we're we're not judging this guy. Paul said, no. That's not what you should be doing. You should be ashamed, you should be in sorrow, you should be in mourning. And, and above all, you should remove this man from your fellowship. Hey, hey, you're not welcome here. Now, he says, man, we don't know anything about the woman. Maybe she wasn't a Jesus follower. 
But this guy claimed to be a Jesus follower, and he didn't act like a Jesus follower. All right? Got the picture? This is what's important. Claimed to be a Jesus follower, didn't act like a Jesus follower. And Paul said, hey, get rid of this guy. Now, he goes on to explain it. Um, He says, even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. Now, some of you are thinking, I know. Doesn't the Bible teach we're not supposed to judge? And Paul would say, hey, I'm writing the Bible, (laughs) all right? But we'll get to that objection here in a few minutes. It doesn't say we're not supposed to judge. It just tells us who we're supposed to judge. And again, traditionally, the church has gotten this wrong. We've gotten it backwards. Why? Why should we, why did he pass judgment on this guy? Because what he was doing was not good for him. him. It wasn't good for this woman. It wasn't good for the church. that, that body of believers. He was harming himself and others in a relationship. It was, it was wrong. It was harmful. It was bad. It needs to be dealt with. We just don't let these type of things just go. Then he says something really remarkable in verse 5. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan. Now that's a kind of a strange thing to say, isn't it? Hand him over to Satan. <clears throat> now, This is kind of a a legal term, and it means kind of uh, turn him over to Satan as his his parole officer, okay? (laughs) You know, uh, you've done something wrong, and and Satan is your parole officer. That's kind of a strange image, isn't it? What he's trying to say is he needs to learn there are consequences to their action. Everybody needs to learn that, right? There are consequences to our actions. He says, so that in his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. So what is the intent here? Just to get rid of this guy. We don't like this guy. He's, he's acting inappropriately. We're just going to disassociate ourselves from him. No, 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 no. <laughs> in fact, turn him over to Satan. Why? So basically kind of, so he will sink so low that he will change, that he will repent, that he will be uh, re- return to fellowship. He returned to being a true Jesus follower. That's the reason. All right? Because what they were doing wasn't causing that to happen. They were letting him, they were being permissive. And he said, no, 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 no. That isn't good. That isn't beneficial to anyone. And he gives a, a, an illustration. And if, you're a, a, if you bake bread or something, you'll understand this better than the rest of us. But anyway, you're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that sin is a, like a little yeast that spreads to the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing the wicked person from among you. He's saying what? If you leave this in the church, it, his influence, his bad influence is going to, uh, bad example is going to influence others. And so somebody else in the church say, it's okay for him, it's okay for me. And he said, no, 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 no. We don't want this uh, harmful, wrong behavior to spread the best thing to do is to dissociate yourself from it. Uh, get rid of the yeast so it doesn't affect uh, the, the rest of the group. And then skipping down a little bit, he, he gets into real detail in explaining this. He says, when I wrote to you before, I, I don't think I shared that. Evidently, Paul wrote three, maybe four letters to this church in Corinth. What we call 1 Corinthians at least should be called 2 Corinthians because there was a letter before that which didn't wind up in the Bible. So we don't know what it said but he's going to address something he wrote. He said, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. So the church 
was confused. We would say they got it wrong because they were associating with this guy who was having an affair with his mother-in-law. So they weren't getting it right. So what did they think? What were they doing? What did they believe? And so the best we could tell from the writing was they weren't associating with outsiders. And so he addresses that. I wasn't talking about unbelievers. I wasn't talking about outsiders. I wasn't talking about people that don't claim to be Jesus followers who indulge in sexual sin. Or greedy or cheating or worship idols. He said, I wasn't telling you to disassociate yourself from them. Because if you did that, how could you fulfill the marching orders of Jesus, right? To go out into all the world? In fact, he even gives a practical answer. He said, you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Hey, you're a church of 40 people. You're in a town of hundreds of thousands. You're not going to associate with anybody with the other 39 people? That's crazy. It's impossible. And some of us tend to try and do that. We, all our friends are believers. You know, we don't associate with people at work that aren't believers or, or at school. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not right. No matter how despicable their behavior is, we need to, we must associate with them. But here it goes on to, to further explain what he's talking about. What I meant was not to associate when he claims to be a believer, a Jesus follower, an insider, like this guy. Yet indulges in, he keeps a list, sexual sin, greedy, worship idols, abusive, or drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with them. Don't go out to lunch with them. Don't associate with them. Again, all the reasons we explained earlier. It's not good for them. It's not good for anybody else. It could be a a negative influence on those people around them. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about salt and light. You can't be salt if you're no different than people out there. You can't be light. You can't be making an impact. And then he goes on to talk about judging. He said, it isn't my or our responsibility to judge outsiders. They don't claim to be Jesus followers. They don't claim to have the same standard that we have. It would be foolish for us to judge them by our standards. But it certainly is your or our responsibility to judge those insiders who are sinning. Now, we all sin. This isn't going on a witch hunt. This guy was blatantly sinning. He was, you know, obviously no interest in doing what was right. No interest in, because the Bible gives you some instructions about you know, go talk to him. If he doesn't listen to you, go talk, take some other people and go with you. Evidently, none of that did any good. So Paul is saying, you got to get rid of this guy. So what's going to happen to these outsiders? We're not going to judge them. Well, Paul tells us that too. He says, God will judge those outside. He'll do a better job than you and I. Don't let him judge them. But man, we've got to judge those in the inside. Now, the pushback is what Jesus said. And it's in Matthew chapter 7. So I'm going to put that on the, on the board. And we don't have a lot of time to talk about this. And maybe you can discuss it in your small groups. Jesus said, don't judge others and you will not be judged. Now, I think the, what he's saying here is don't ha- go around with a judgmental attitude. Don't go around to, uh, looking for things to, to find in fault in other people. And usually what we find in fault in other people is what we find in fault in ourselves. He says, don't, don't live like that. For you'll be treated... Uh, uh, Treat it as you treat others, the standard you use to judge, the standard by which you will be judged. If you go around with this judgmental attitude, that's why people are going to treat you. Now, if you're a parent, or if you had a parent, which means all of us, right, you understand this. Every household has rules. 
standards, right? You know, make your bed, do your homework, etc., etc. Brush your teeth. Whoever the judge is, and at home it's the parents, right? At least one of the parents, both the parents. And if you're the kid and you don't make your bed or you don't brush your teeth or don't do your homework, you are judged, right? And you are disciplined because what's good for you, what you need to do is learn to obey, what you need to do the things that are good for you, homework, etc., etc. Maybe a better word, it's easy for us to swallow if we use the words accountability. We're accountable to each other as insiders. We're not accountable to outsiders. They're not accountable to us. But we are accountable as insiders. Civic organizations, they have rules. And if you don't follow the rules, you get kicked out of a civic organization. It's no different. Again, the reason in the church, we do it in the church is with the goal or the motive that a person would repent and change uh, their behavior. So I'm going to summarize it this way. It's our business to judge insiders. And that's something we've, we, 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 we don't do. We think we're not supposed to judge. But it is our business to judge insiders. We better do that. But it's none of our business, none, zero, absolutely none of our business to judge outsiders. So we need to do, a, do the best job we can of doing this. And judging insiders is hard. And I've had to do it some over the years, and it's really hard. And what we do sometimes is just let it slide because it's hard. But if we do this, as we said last week, people, outsiders, are going to have some, uh, some responses to us. First, they're going to not feel coerced. And if you're a Jesus follower, you didn't become a Jesus follower because you were coerced, I bet. You became a Jesus follower because you were drawn. You were drawn to something that you didn't have, something, a lifestyle that was better which you had. Now they may feel guilty, but not because we're trying to make them feel guilty, just because their lifestyle is something inside them. Man, I wish I loved my, my spouse like, you know, these guys down at church love their spouses. I wish I parented it like this. These guys down at the folks down at church do. I wish I, you know, had my finances under control like these guys down at the church. They're going to feel a little guilty for that reason, but they're not going to feel condemned because that's not our job, Right? So part of love, uh, as a parent you know this, a part of love is judging the actions of your children. That's part of our, our job. But let's decide. Let's decide that it's our business to judge insiders, but it's none of our business to judge outsiders. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. So let's pray. Father God, thank you. It's a little confusing. Uh, but really important that we need to hold each other accountable because it is loving. It's what's best for each of us and for your church, your body. And it's none of our business to judge those outsiders, but we are to go to them. We are to be loving of them, not to this extent of judging, but loving them, being compassionate, being accepting, and uh, so that they, God, would feel drawn uh, to you. Uh, I want to pray for anybody here this morning that, that, that it considers themselves an outsider, doesn't consider themselves a Jesus follower, that um, today you would think, hey, there is something there that I would want, and I'd like to step across that line. And then it would be our responsibility to teach them, 
Teach them to obey. And God, we take that responsibility seriously. And if you're one of those people, please, please let us know. Uh, We are here to, as Jesus' hands and feet, uh, to help you do that. Father God, thank you for your presence. Love through us. For your glory in Jesus' name, amen.